Welcome to today's program. My guest is Joanna Watson, author of Light Through the Cracks. Joanna, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Where were you brought up? I was brought up in the south of England, in a town not far from London, um, and in a Christian home. I'm one of four children, the oldest of four, and yeah, I had a very kind of uneventful childhood, really. Um, it was good. But when you were a teenager, I gather you heard a speaker say that God doesn't have grandchildren. That's right. You've done your research, Jay John. <laughs> yes, when I was about, I think about 14 or 15, I remember going on a youth camp and I can't remember the name of the speaker. It was an amazing lady and she just said, God does not have grandchildren. And it was the first time that I realised that although my parents were Christians, I didn't automatically, it didn't mean that I was automatically a Christian. And I think in my family, my dad was first generation Christian. He'd become a Christian at university. My mum had several generations of Christians above her. So they were seeking to raise us as best they could in kind of praying for us. I remember my dad praying on the armour of God for us every day before we went off to school in the hallway, praying for us in the car before long journeys, and just mum teaching us scriptures and trying to kind of almost instill in us a sense of the reality of God, the reality of praying in the name of Jesus. But later on, Joanna, you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I did. Where I, did that happen? It was at a church youth fellowships association house party um, called Limpsfield, where... Where I used to go. Yes, yes. Yes. So I know it well. And it might even have been a weekend when you were teaching the leaders, because I, I remember being a really young leader. I was about 17, maybe 18. And I just had a really powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'd been baptised age 16 about a year before. And God just spoke to me in a way that I didn't even realise he could. I remember having a very vivid vision and a, a very strong scripture that matched with the vision. And it was almost like him declaring over my life, this is what's going to happen. And it's something I've held on to over the years since. It's very personal and private, but it's just been, it was an amazing encounter. Yeah, an encounter with the Lord. Yeah. Now, you, you left school, went to university, studied law. That's right. What did you do after that? Um, immediately after I went to law college because I thought I was going to be training as a solicitor. And then I had a year where I lived in Bolivia, which had a few dramatic things happen. I went with an organisation called Latin Link. And I think that was probably the first time I encountered a miracle. I remember very vividly, uh, we were in a team on the edge of the Amazon rainforest and uh, cutting back undergrowth the way you do when you're young. And... Um, with a machete. With a machete, exactly. And I accidentally cut my knee and the nurse of the team, who was this lovely German lady, bandaged it. And um, she basically said, I think you're going to need stitches. And the team prayed. Yeah, so it was so, it was the cut was serious. The, the cut was serious. It was like, they called it cutting into the, um, you know, into the sort of like Lake Titicaca. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it, it was healed. But I left after Bolivia. I then went on and trained what, as a what lawyer. What do you mean it was healed? I remember the skin sealed. The skin it literally sealed. sealed together. So I didn't need stitches. No, it was a miraculous healing. It was a miraculous healing. What impact did that have on you? Um, it really raised my faith. It was the first time I had ever known that God could miraculously heal. I just thought God healed through doctors and nurses. I didn't know he could do it supernaturally. That was the first time I saw it happen. 
And I came back from that with this fresh sense of, oh my goodness, God actually still heals today. He's doing amazing things. And I was working, I then went to work in law, but always had this sense of law being the means to an end. It wasn't ever going to be what I was called to do long term. And I had, um, I qualified and I specialised in family and children's law, dealing with the kind of relationship end of law and dealing with a lot of heartache and hurt and disappointment and pain. And I had a very high profile case that made law at the time where I was representing an unmarried father and it went to the Court of Appeal. It was about the rights for him to see his son. And yeah, it then became statute law in due course. And it was an amazing kind of, I look back and think, gosh, how did that happen? I was really newly qualified and I got this amazing case. And all my colleagues were like, you know, this is the pinnacle of your career. And I knew in my heart of hearts because of what had happened in Bolivia and it, that kind of exposure to poverty, like global poverty, that God was calling me on. So instead of just representing clients who were living in the council estate of the town where I was living, God was saying, I want you to work and represent the people who are really, truly, materially poor. And so that desire led you into what? It led me into working in international development, but along the way, I was still in law when I had a very dramatic car accident. That's um, right. Was that in 1999? Yeah, that was in 1999. In America, and you were on holiday with your brother. I was on holiday with my brother, and do you want me to tell you the story? Please tell <laughs> us the story. We were on holiday, and it was a much-needed holiday. I was working as a lawyer, my brother as a social worker, and we had hired a car. We landed, and we were going to go and see some friends. And we went to this national park and we had a, a, an American guy who joined us in the car. He was at the youth hostel we were staying in and said, can I come with you for the ride? And we said, sure. And we spent the whole day sightseeing and then very spur of the moment at the end of the day, decided to go and watch the sunset. And as we were coming down from the sunset platform, the car went through a mountain tunnel, sudden artificial lighting, and then coming out, and immediately there was a hairpin bend. No arrows, no street lights, no cat's eyes, nothing to warn us. And I oversteered. I remember steering to the right, steering to the left, and then realising I'd lost control of the car. And there was no barrier, there was nothing, and just screamed, Lord Jesus! That's the opening line of my book. <laughs> and the car, I just remember the trees, like, as the car went down. And it went down about 50 metres and it flipped and it ended upside down on its roof. It ended up on its bonnet like this. And my brother and I were held in upside down by our seatbelts. The American guy was in the back and I knew I'd hurt my back. I knew it. I just, I was in agony. And um, it was amazing. We couldn't undo either door. My brother was like, are you paralysed? <laughs> I was like, I think, I don't think so. I can feel my feet. And the American guy went up to the road. So my brother didn't have so to make that to, decision. He had to get out. He climb had to up. get out in the dark. It was pitch black there and go up to the road where there was this dust cloud where the car had come off. And he, he held cars. The first car that stopped had a doctor in who came and tended my medical needs. The second car had someone who had a mobile phone with reception, which in 1999 was amazing. Unusual. The third car had a Christian in and she came down and she saw the situation and she just said, Joe, something or someone has watched over you tonight. And I so clearly remember saying to her, I'm a Christian. I said, whatever God's got in store for me hasn't yet happened. He's clearly saved my life for a purpose. 
And she said, I'm a Christian too, I'd like to pray for you. So I had my medical needs being attended to. I had an ambulance on the way because of the phone. And I had a Christian praying for me. And there were so many coincidences. But I, think I, don't, you, I think you mentioned there were 19. There were 19 in total. Coincidences. So for us as Christians, it's like that's God incidences. That's a God incident, exactly. And I think God synchronised everything between the UK and the US and people being where they shouldn't have been to take calls and just the provision, even down to the detail of taking me to a Christian hospital where they prayed over the tannoy and masses of the detail. So it's in the first chapter of my book, but it's now, like amazing. And, and you were in a brace for six months. I was, yes. So that must have been uncomfortable. Yes, it was. And, and <laughs> during that six months, as you reflected... It, it, it reminds me, you know, be still and know that I'm God. <laughs> well, you know, you can't really do much. What did you feel God was saying to you? I really, uh, bearing in mind I was still working in law at the time and still wrestling with what I'd witnessed living in Bolivia, that was the season where the Lord was just like, I am in control and I'm wanting you to leave law. I knew that I was going to leave law. And he was saying, you know, if you go, I will honour you, I'll provide for you, I'll protect you. And there was an almighty spiritual battle in the extracting out of that, out of law and into what he had next. But I then was able to take all the skills I'd learned in law and use them instead to advocate to politicians and civil servants and government ministers instead of judges so previously I was representing children and families in front of judges and now I was speaking to government ministers and the United Nations and people like that on behalf of children in other countries. And then... And, and going to numerous countries. Yes, and going to numerous countries um, in Africa, Asia, Latin America. And I then moved across into another NGO and instead of it being just about children, it became broader, just about helping people to... Um, advocate for themselves about the issues that were causing their poverty so they could lift themselves out of poverty and get the services, the government services they need. Yeah, you, you were telling me um, earlier ab about rescuing people who are drowning and it's a very helpful analogy. Can you just uh, explain that? The way that I describe international development is we do humanitarian relief, community development and advocacy. And it's as if you're by a river or a stream and somebody's coming downstream and they're drowning. The instinct is to pull them out, but somebody also needs to teach them to swim and somebody needs to go upstream and find out why they're falling in in the first place. Or who's pushing them in. Or who's pushing them in. And actually humanitarian relief is like that disaster. You pull them out. Community development is the teaching people to manage their poverty and lift themselves out of poverty. And the advocacy is going upstream and challenging the structural injustices that are causing the poverty in the first place. And that's the area that I'm involved in. And you, having, you've done that for how long? About 20 years, yeah. Are you, you must see some devastation and could easily be despair and de be mm. discouraged. But you're a very positive, optimistic person. I guess because I've seen God at work, even in the midst of material poverty, God is still at work. And people, when they gain their dignity in that sense of God cares about me, God cares about my community, my family, and they can lift themselves out of poverty and they can speak for themselves. And there's something very powerful in that. And I've also seen miracles in my travels. I can, I can think of a couple of times. Well, you have. Times. Let, well, 
Let me, your book is remarkable. I mean, it, it really is light through the cracks. What made you come up with that title? Because, so the book contains 10 true stories, starting with my own and then nine others of family and friends and people known to me. And in all of them, life turns tough, really tough. And the stories are written in a raw, real, messy way. First person, present tense. We did not know, in the middle of them, how they were going to end. And in all of them, God breaks in and does at least one miracle, whether it's healing, provision, protection, or in one case, resurrection. Tell us about the story. Is it Jed when the hammock? Yeah. Tell us that story. Yeah, so that's the case of resurrection. So Jed was maybe 12, 13, and he um, had longed for a hammock. And he was given one for Christmas. And then he had a tragic accident where he ended up strangling himself. And he was clinically brain dead for at least 15 minutes, potentially 20. They don't really know. And his father was a clinical medical consultant and he knew what to do and was offering CPA. And on the coma scale, he was clinically brain dead. And the ambulance and the paramedics came, took him to the hospital, and his, his father described it, that the parting of the Red Sea as the ambulance, like, went through this traffic. And basically, the family were being prepared for being told he's going to be brain dead, he's going to be severely paralysed, he's going to have learning um, challenges, he's not going to be your son in the way that you've known him because of what's happened. But that family mobilised so many people to pray, so many people to pray and there were scriptures and there were songs and there were prophetic words and exactly a week later Jed woke up <laughs> completely in his normal mind and he's now studying at university. He's an amazing story of God doing a, a miracle for him. And that's one of the 10 stories. One of the 10 stories in there. But these are all people that you personally yes. know. Yes. Yes. And the interesting one with Jed is, and in quite a lot of the healing stories, is the sense that the consultants, the general practitioner doctors, could not make any sense of it. And I remember in that one, the doctor said to the parents, um, if you believe in a higher power or a divine being, I can't remember the actual language he used, um, you can attribute this to that divine power, higher being, because this makes no medical sense. And I think that's a common thread where God just breaks in and does incredible things. So God is at work, mm. uh, but sometimes we don't always see that, do we, Joanna? No, no. Um, you see a lot. Is that because uh, you're more intentional, uh, more expectant, where, you know, wherever you go, you're expecting God to work, you're expecting a miracle? Possibly. <laughs> I think it's more that I'm very open to the Holy Spirit. So most days I will be saying, Lord, if there's one today that you want me to stop for, and I think that's a challenge for all of us, that we need to learn to stop for the one in front of us. But you're very good at that. So, yeah. for example, when you at the swimming pool, uh, tell us the, the story of the guy at the swimming pool. Yeah, that was the first time it happened. I, I describe it as having like a surge of courage and compassion. They rise up in parallel within me. And that was the very first time it happened. So I swim regularly and there was this young lifeguard on reception on that particular day. He was probably early 20s, very, very tall. And he was clearly in a lot of pain. And I said, we were on first name terms. And I said to him, 
what's wrong? And he said he'd been in this horrendous car accident with his girlfriend and a juggernaut had hit them into the central reservation. And I felt this surge of courage and compassion. And I said to him, would you like me to pray for you? Has anyone prayed for you? And he said, no. And then when I offered, he said, do you mean like right here, right now? He actually swore. And I said, yeah. So he went, okay. Came out from around the reception desk, stood there, looked at me and said, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I said, where does it hurt? And he said he had whiplash. And that was the most painful part. So I laid my hand on his neck and then he swore again. And I just prayed a simple prayer in the name of Jesus, bring healing. And he could feel tingling. And he said, what's that tingling? And I said, maybe God's healing you. Maybe that is the Lord beginning to heal you. And anyway, over the course of the coming weeks, I every time I was there and he was on duty, I prayed with him. He kept coming out from behind the reception desk and I'd pray for him another injury. I ended up having to apologise to him and his girlfriend because basically their compensation claim was significantly lower because they were being healed by the Lord. But what I didn't realise with him, and I think this is a key thing, I was one of two Christians in his life. He had a school friend who he was going home to who had already invited him on Alpha and already had enabled him to have a Bible and was saying to him, there's this weird woman at the pool and she keeps praying for me and I don't understand what's happening. And his school friend was like, yeah, that could be God healing you and why don't you try Alpha? And so it was like there were two of us involved in this person's life. And I think sometimes God uses us but we don't know the other people in that person's life. No, but as you said, and what I liked, you had compassion for him, mm. but also a bit of courage. Mm. And I think sometimes uh, we might have the compassion mm. and we don't always have that courage, do we? Mm. So almost like step out yeah. and see what God may do. Yeah. Now, what about all the people, Joanna, who are longing for a mm. healing or longing for a miracle mm. and they feel like the persistent widow in Jesus' mm. parable, mm. they've knocked and knocked mm. and knocked. What would you say to them? There is no formula for a miracle. And I think my book is about how it happened for these particular people. It's not about why. I don't have the answer for why. There are books out there written about why does God heal some and not others? Why does he protect some and not others? I feel God, when he does a miracle, it's for a purpose. They're a sign that point us to him. They're a wonder that make us look to him. A bit like, you know, looking for a direction in a new town. And they always have a purpose. Like when God does a miracle, he's saying something as well as doing something. But we can't dictate to God and say, you've got to do one because we can't do that. It's not for us to choose, it's for God to choose. And I think sometimes there are blocks. I don't think that's a formula either. I, I wouldn't say go fishing, <laughs> but sometimes God does reveal. Sometimes he says, actually, you need to forgive somebody or you need to confess a sin or you need to actually do what I've asked you to do and obey. And if you haven't confessed or forgiven or obeyed, that can be a block. And I've seen that in prayer ministry, not necessarily in the book, but some of the things I've written on my blog, where actually there is a block. And the Lord very clearly says, you need to forgive this person. And then the healing comes or the miracle comes, but it doesn't always. And it's that tension of now and not yet. And I feel sometimes Jesus came and Jesus, when he came, the purpose of him coming wasn't about healing. It was about bringing in the kingdom of God. 
And the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet. When Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God will be fully here and we're living in that now and not yet tension of he heals sometimes but not always and he does amazing things sometimes but not always. But that doesn't mean he can't. No, and I, I think it was it was good what you've just highlighted there, Joanna. Sometimes there can be blockages and unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if we don't forgive, mm. we break the bridge on which we miss cross. Mm. And that's very important. Mm. Or, as you said, confession of sin. Mm. Or is there something that God's told us to do and we've not done it? Mm. And then sometimes... Um, we don't like to highlight those blockages, no, do we? No, We're like, let's just go straight and ask exactly. for healing. Whereas actually, let's clear some of the debris. Yeah. There was a lady I will remember, always remember praying for. I was in my 20s at the time. She was in her early 50s. And she had come forward for prayer ministry at the end of a church service. And I think she had something like a migraine or IBS. It was a physical symptom. And as we were praying, I had the ABBA song, Dancing Queen, just come into my mind. And I said to her, do you like ABBA? She said, no. I said, do you like dancing? And she just burst into tears. And it turned out that her mum had prevented her from dancing when she was a child. Her mum had died a few months before and she had never really forgiven her mum. And so I said, could you just forgive your mum? And she just prayed a very simple prayer, releasing what happened. And then we prayed, I was with another lady, we prayed for her physical symptom to go. And she said, it's gone. And she went dancing down the aisle of the church. It was, it was amazing. And, and I think that was the first time ever that I'd seen this link that sometimes unforgiveness can block. But it needs the Lord to highlight it. it of course, the Holy Spirit is the one. Absolutely. But, but frequently, I think we do get um, uncomfortable. Mm. Um, we may use the word convicted, but mm. there's that sense of unease, isn't mm. there? That something's not quite mm. right. Exactly. And uh, we need to forgive. Uh, we need yeah. to confess. Um, or, hey, wait a minute, God's told me to do this. Yeah. And I'm ignoring that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and almost to say, well, Lord, I, I really am seeking healing. I am seeking a miracle and I'm willing to do whatever it mm, takes mm. to access that, mm. which makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think sometimes the Lord will show very clearly, and in, in the book and also on my blog, a lot of the stories that I share, it's around the Lord speaking into the situation. And sometimes people are not pressing into him in a way that, Life has turned tough and they want to run away. And actually it's saying, no, lean into your Christian community around you and lean into God and hear what he's saying. Because sometimes he might say something different to what the consultant's saying or your employer is saying. You know, if you get a diagnosis you don't want or you get told your job's about to be made redundant or something horrendous, you want to be like, God, are you in this? What are you saying? Give me a scripture. Give me a, a praise song. Give me a, an audible voice. Give me a prophetic word, something I can hold on to in Absolutely. the middle of this situation. Now, I know, and I'm sh there are many, Joanna, who are tuned in now, watching, listening. Mm. They need a miracle, maybe mm. a miracle of provision, a miracle of mm. guidance, or they need a healing. Mm. Would you pray for any of our listeners and viewers who need a miracle and healing? Would you pray for them? Yeah, sure. Okay. 
Father God, I thank you for those who are watching and I thank you for those who are listening and I thank you that you know about each individual. You know their situation, you know their circumstance and you have good plans and good purposes for them and you know where the enemy has tried to come in and steal and kill and destroy. And I just speak life and life in abundance over them, over their provision, over their protection, over their healing and if there's any resurrection needed as well. Lord, over marriages, over businesses, over parenting, over sibling relationships, over finances, over businesses. Lord God, I just ask that where you need to bless, you would bless, and where you need to do a miracle, you would do a miracle. And Lord, that you would raise faith for the impossible. Lord, it says in scripture that nothing is impossible with you. And I just ask for each of those people who are crying out to you, do the impossible, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How do you see God's future for you, Joanna? Wow, that's a big question. I regularly get asked to teach and speak and preach in various places, and I love to do that. I can um, teach and speak on any of the kind of themes in the book. I'm writing a study guide at the moment to go with the book yes. for use by individuals and book clubs and home groups and youth groups. Uh, which should come out later this year. And I have another six stories for a second book of 10. So I will be writing more. <laughs> and again, these are people you know. They either are directly known by me or known by somebody who's referred them to me. And those stories, they're out there, aren't they? They are out there in the UK, in the 21st century. They're not just happening in countries like Nigeria or the United States or India or Burundi or Rwanda, they're happening here. And I guess it's that sense of God is the same God. You know, the Bible is full of miracle stories and we read it and we don't even recognise them anymore. Creation was a miracle. Moses raised his staff over the Red Sea and it parted. That was a miracle. Manna and quail in the desert. Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, walking on water, healing blind eyes and deaf ears and raising people up. And Jesus himself came, born of a virgin, raised from the dead. You know, there's so many miracles in the Bible and God is the same God yesterday, today, forever and he's still at work he's still doing miracles now and it's really I want to raise faith that it's possible and to say let's recognize where he's doing it let's remember those stories let's share them in anticipation and expectation that he could do it again he could just turn up and do it again and, and build our faith exactly be people of faith yeah and offering it to others we carry the resurrection power in us you know, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are carrying that power. And we can extend that and offer it to those around us. We can say, in the name of Jesus, be raised up. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, may he provide for you, protect you, resurrect the thing that needs resurrecting. And we sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget it. And actually the Lord is saying, you know, have that faith, notice the person in front of you. And if you yourself are in need of a miracle, like just lean on the Lord and say, Jesus, 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 because there's so much power in that name. Absolutely. The name of Jesus, mm. and it is all about Jesus. Mm. Joanna, you're an inspiration. You really oh, are. thank you. You, uh, you remind me of one of my um, heroes of the faith, oh. Catherine Coleman. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So I pray that you'd have the same anointing as her and uh, see many more people healed and mm. see many more miracles. Uh, I can thoroughly recommend uh, Joanna's book. 
Um, if you want a faith lift, uh, this will give you a faith lift. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us thank on Facing the Canon. Thank you for inviting me. I do hope that's inspired you and I do hope it's given you a faith lift. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. No one is born a hero. They become one by repeatedly choosing to do what's heroic. Heroes of the Faith, Volume 2, J. John's brand new coffee table book, continues the testimonies of faith, sacrifice, love, generosity and perseverance found in Volume 1. Retelling 60 remarkable stories, including inspirational people such as Mahalia Jackson, Brother Andrew, Rasalama of Madagascar and David Wilkerson, we're reminded that the road to being a hero is to take heroic actions one step at a time. Heroes of the Faith, Volume 2, available now from jjohn.com and other bookshops.